basically we're just going to jump right into it um, here at Calvary Chapel. We love to jump into the Word, and we love to have our sermons based on Scripture, and we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Um, ultimately, everything points to Jesus, and that's where we want it to be. Amen? Amen, amen. amen, amen. So today, I'm going to start with prayer. Let's do that first and foremost, huh? <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, for this day. Thank you for this group of people that is here right now. Um, you knew from the beginning of time that they would be here tonight, and that's an absolutely outrageous, crazy thing to think about. Um, but we are so thankful that these people are here and that, that I'm here. Um, I pray that the word would be living, because we know in your word it says that it's living, Father, and that um, it would be spoken through me, use me as a vessel, Father, that it would be not my words or my agenda or my opinions, Father, but it would be your word and your blessing being spoken out through me, Father. Thank you for this church and this community and this fellowship and the group of people that are here tonight. Again, blessings on them as um, they go through this time of transition, coming back into school mode. It is always such a a time of flux, Father. Um, Unease, and uh, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight in Psalms. Um, Just you are a refuge, Father. Thank you for this time and all these things we pray. Amen. So we're going to start out in Psalms 46. Hope you all brought your Bibles. If you didn't, our lovely Zach and Matt have Bibles for you. Please raise your hand if you all need a Bible. Psalms 46 is where we're at. We are going through the entirety of the psalm. Um, It's just 1 through 11, so not too many verses tonight, but I'm going to be jumping all over the place in the Bible. But this is our core. This is where we want to remain. In any case. So I'm going to go through it. Read it all the way through. I'm going to give you context. I'm going to set it up. We're going to nail it and knock it out of the park with applying it to Jesus and bringing it home. Okay? Okay. Sorry, my mind is still on softball. If I shriek out in any sort of pain, I had a moment of my mortality verified to me and how old I am. It's, it's not very old. I'm only 26. But on Friday, I played in an old man church league at softball. My first at bat, I go up, lobbed, smack the ball, and I pull an oblique. <laughs> I didn't even know that was possible. <laughs> I couldn't even make it to first base, and I was done for the game, probably done for the season. Ugh, I feel old. <laughs> But you walk into things sometimes, and, and I had a practice the weekend before, and I was just nailing them. No warm-up, no nothing, just got up to the plate and just rocking it. I'm just, no, no problem. Then when it was game time, everything fell apart. And I was hurt, and I'm just thinking to myself, really, God? My one source of enjoyment, my one escape, right? My one escape, and it's taken from me in the midst of what I thought would be the progress of a great season. So we're going to kind of talk on that tonight and um, seeing the Lord as our refuge. So let's start in Psalms. Psalms 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her 
just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in fire. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Amen. So what I want to do, because most of you have heard at least one line of this psalm, and that is, be still and know that I am God. But I want to give you the context of where this is coming from. So the structure of the psalm initially is actually broken up into three parts. The first part being verse 1 through 3, a celebration of God is our defense, even though the earth is moved. The second section, a celebration of God is our defense, even though the nations rage. And a third is a celebration of God as our defense, even when the Lord brings his judgment. After the battle, we see a picture of the Lord. I want to give you the understanding. Um, this psalm has been soaking out loud in churches for a very long time, in a time of great need, in a time of great struggle. And it's, it's almost a cry, it's a song. It's, 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 it's something that, that with all of our energy in the midst of turmoil, we are crying out to the Lord, save us. Be our refuge, be our strength. And we're going to get into that. But... Scholars believe that 46 through 48 of Psalms is actually a trilogy relative to Hezekiah and Shennacherib, a Syrian enemy, a representative of the king of the Assyrian army who was just taking out everyone during the time. Um, and they've actually destroyed the walls of Jerusalem, and they are at the front door of Jerusalem. And so this perspective of Psalm 46 is of the people of Jerusalem looking out beyond the walls and seeing 185,000 Syrian soldiers looking in, coming to destroy. There's debate on whether this psalm was written before or after. It's, it's no matter, because <laughs> really in the midst of it, the point is clear, the Lord is our refuge. And you have to understand in this situation, there is no possible way of their escape. They see their utter demise. You see the men going home at night and comforting their wives because it could be their lives. They're their last. And you see the children screaming, being comforted by their mothers, trying to explain the situation and trying to keep them things together. But the thing is, families are in turmoil because they see the impending doom upon them. But I want you to see what the Lord speaks through Isaiah to King Hezekiah in 2 Kings 19.32. Therefore, thus says the Lord, concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mount against it. By the way that he came, by the way, by the same shall he return. And he shall not come into the city, says the Lord, for I will defend the city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. The Lord assures us his victory is his. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength. I, I, I want you to understand refuge is, is, is a place of, of safety, right? Um, and this is what God offers to us in the midst of turmoil. But also, I want you to recognize his strength. So God is our strength, and there's a difference here because God isn't the one that provides us strength. He is our strength. 
in the midst of turmoil, when you turn to the Lord, he is going to fight the battles for us. Rest assured in that. He doesn't provide us with our earthly ability to go to the nth degree. He has already gone because he is sovereign. He has already gone before. The battle is won. Okay? I want you to understand that. And then also in verse 1, it talks about a very present help in trouble. So when it talks about a very present help, it literally means tense. A very present tense. A very present being in times of trouble. He is with us in times of trouble. On the day that turmoil is upon us, he is there, period. It's funny, in the midst of this, in the midst of desperate circumstances, we pray desperate prayers. In the midst of easy circumstances, we pray easy prayers. The thing is, even though there is sin in that, God is faithful and he is there regardless. He is with us regardless. He is a very present help in those circumstances. This is, this is kind of a fitting psalm for the day. I was trying to pray. back. I was, I was back and forth all week about what the Lord wanted me to talk about tonight. Um, I, I, typically when I, I talk, and I've, I've spoken in the past, I give my um, testimony to the Lord, and it's long and boring, and <laughs> we don't need to get into it. Um, but essentially, that's not what the Lord wanted me to talk about tonight. Um, he wanted me to talk about turmoil, suffering, um, taking refuge in the Lord, and thing is, there's hysteria in the midst of turmoil. Today, it, it just so happens, obviously, that today is 9-11. Some of you remember this, some of you don't. Political agendas aside, I don't really care how you feel about the war. September 11, 2001, was a day that America stood still. That every single one of us was affected in one way or another, whether that be our school shut down, played and shut down, Teams shut down. Today's Sunday. Football, great, awesome. But everything was shut down. Everything was frozen. And there was, toil- there was turmoil. We didn't know what was going on. I actually have the newspaper from the day after. It says, hijacked jets destroy Twin Towers and hit Pentagon. Day of terror. Day of terror. I thought it was interesting to bring that in. Um, because there's, there's no war on terror at that point. There's no, there's no ISIS. I mean, I mean, they're, they're present. The people are there. The spirit is there. But you have to un- understand what I'm going after in the midst of this is the turmoil that our country faced on 9-11. And it impacted us so much. And Zach and I were talking earlier about an article in The Guardian where the rate of people going back to church was up by 20% the Sunday after. People were looking for answers what was I don't know if you guys remember, but on every car, on every street corner, on every house, on every building, there was an American flag, and then we took pride in it. It didn't matter the division that we had, the differences that we had. We took pride in those differences, and that we all came together in one nation under God. And that's all I'm going to say on that. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say on that. Verse 2, Therefore we will not fear, even though the earth is removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, Verse 3, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake and the swelling thereof, Selah. Lord being a very present help, will not f- we will not fear. We have no reason to fear, even though we do fear. It's in our nature. <laughs> we are scared. Um, the circumstances may be overwhelming, but we are, we are anxious and stressed. And we are nervous and suffocating. But the Lord is with us. 
And what this is saying is that even though the earth being removed, like these, these words are the strongest words in their vernacular of the time to give you a magnitude of what they're talking about. Though the earth will be removed, that, that doesn't mean you, you have a place to go. That means the earth is gone. The ground underneath your feet is gone. You have nowhere to go. And the Lord is there. The mountains be carried into the sea. The very fabric of what we know as earth now is being completely demolished. The waters be troubled. The mountains shake. The swelling thereof. It wants to give you perspective of where to find refuge in the Lord. Also, we're going to go back to Hezekiah. This is the perspective of these people sitting inside a fortress, death right outside their door. 185,000 Assyrian soldiers waiting to rape, pillage, and destroy everything that they hold dear in this life. Going through verse 4 through 7, the second section of this psalm, we see a celebration that the Lord is our defense even when the nations rage. Verse 4, There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. It's important to note that this psalm takes note of a river whose streams make the city of God glad. See, during that time when you built a stronghold, when you built a city, when you built a castle, you built it around a supply of water, a large river or stream. Um, This was so that your walls would be your defense. And essentially, you would have ongoing nourishment from the source of water within those walls so that you can maintain a barrage of attacks from enemies. And hopefully your walls are up to the task of not falling down and not being penetrated. This is interesting though because we're talking about Jerusalem, correct? So Jerusalem doesn't have a mighty river. Jerusalem doesn't have a mighty stream, a well. It has streams, it has a trickle, within the walls. But the thing is, is that this is a picture of Christ. This is a picture of Christ because they have, we have a source of life. Jesus was a source of living water. See, the Lord's wall and stronghold are impenetrable, even though every other kingdom is not. And the source in which we go for nourishment, which we go for our life, is Jesus, and it's within those walls. It's a picture, it's, it's kind of a future tense in knowing that the Lord is our refuge and Jesus is a source within us. I want to I jump to John seven thirty seven through 38. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. He is our sustenance. Amen? Verse 5. God, in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. Now, I want to focus on the word moved. I think. Um, because it is the same in the context of verse 2. Even though the earth will be removed and the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, um, this is a reflection of the Lord now coming within the walls and in our midst and actually in our being. This is an entity. So the same earth that is being, the mountains that are being moved 
and carried into the midst of the sea are the same, it's the same context in verse 5 when it says, she shall not be moved. The city within shall not be moved. The bride of Christ shall not be moved. Even though the world may be moved around it, Christ within shall not be moved. Verse 6, the nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. God pays no attention to the rage of nations. To the exchange of power, to the wars going on in their midst. It says literally his voice is uttered and the earth is melted. It's trying to give you a picture of the magnitude of the Lord. It says the Lord can hold the expanse of the universe in his hand. I want you I want you to understand the magnitude of the Lord that we serve, the Lord that we call Father, Abba. And, and it's almost laughable to think of the nations in past that have gone against the Lord and raged against the Lord out of anger, out of spite, out of jealousy, thinking that they could even be in the tiniest bit comparable to the Lord and his power. It's not so. I want to talk about us as Christians when our world falls apart, we endure another terrorist attack. We um, are separated from our family. We lose a loved one. I know that is pertinent to some of you um, who have gone through a tragedy this last week. It's important to note that. It's important to understand that this is not God's intention. But this is the world that we live in. And he is our refuge in the midst of that. This life is, is a pilgrimage. It is temporary. You have to change your perspective. As Christians, you have to understand that your perspective on life is vital. It's key in your differences between everyone else in the world because we live in, in a, we are eternal beings. Says scripture, we are eternal beings. And this life isn't about us. I would love to sit here and tell you, Lord wants you to have the best job and the best family and the best kids to grow up, to have an inheritance. I, I wish I could say that, but the thing is, is that this, this world is not about us. This world is about Christ and spreading his gospel and making disciples of all nations. Bottom line. It doesn't mean the Lord doesn't want to give you those things, but you have to understand that there is an eternity that is waiting for us. And it says the sufferings of today are nothing in comparison to the glory of tomorrow. Sufferings of today are nothing in comparison to the glory of tomorrow. So how how do we approach that as Christians? I'm not trying to take lightly the brokenness of tragedy. It's almost too big to zero in into your personal individual lives of, of the struggles and, and turmoil and suffering that you are going through right now. But, but I, I want you to understand, because of the gravity of the way that this presented, everything that is happening in your life falls under the umbrella of God's control, and God is our refuge in the midst of it. As Christians, life's going to suck. <laughs> That's just, it, it's, it's hard. 
Bible doesn't say anywhere that life is easy for Christians when you sign up. If that were true, and you would receive every blessing that you would ever want from the Lord, the moment you gave your life to the Lord, you'd be raptured into his presence. You'd be raptured into his presence. You would feel no more suffering, no more guilt, no more shame, no more sin. We have a job to do as Christians. We have, we have, a, <laughs> we have a mission. This, this life is an adventure, you know, as boring as it can be, especially in the midst of schooling. I get it. I went through five years of it <laughs> in college. I'm planning probably on going back. <laughs> but there's a purpose and there's a reason. I want to give you the perspective that the Lord is an eternal God and he knew you and knitted you in the womb. He is very individual. He is very specific about how he created you and the destiny you have. To honor him, to glorify him, to edify him, because this life is not about us, it's about him. I want to give you the perspective that the set of circumstances, what you have gone through in your life, the people that you know, the place that you live, from top to bottom, there is no one like you There is no one in the history of the world that has had the same exact experiences that you have had. This makes you unique. This makes you a child of God. He is specific in loving you. He is the creator and within the depths of Christianity, we are operating in his will. And ultimately, if we believe in a creator, we are operating within the realm of the creation. We are the creation specific to a certain job. And therefore, living as Christians, we operate within that job that we were created to do. It is going to be hard. It is going to be tough. You're going to lose friends. You're going to lose family. You're going to lose loved ones, but it's worth it because there's fulfillment in the way that the Lord created you. There's fulfillment in Christ and Christ alone. I've, I've done it. I've been there. I've been in college. I was, I was a division one football player up at Boise state. Lord asked me to step away, but, but the first year and a half I was there, I was on cloud nine. got more attention than I've ever had in my entire life. And I abused it. Girls partying, drinking. You're treated differently. And I abused it. It was shallow. It was hollow. No one ever said sin isn't fun. But only in the moment. And because I was walking with the Lord before, and the Lord has been my father all the way through, since I was a child, I felt terrible after every action that I did. But the thing about sin, the deeper you go into it, your conscience is seared. Your conscience is seared so that you can keep doing it. That is the depth of our sin. Sin is not something that happens overnight. It's a process. Just like our faith in the opposite direction is a process. 
There's a refiner's fire. We're never going to be perfect. The only way that we're perfect is by receiving Christ. But the closer that we understand who Christ was and what he went through, the closer to God we are. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And this is going to tie into exactly what I was just talking about. But first, the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Seboath, Seboath, the commander of the heavenly armies, the very stars in heaven, no creature. You've got to understand, when it talks about the heavens and the armies of God, God doesn't need an army. God's word is powerful enough to strike any one of us down, Satan down, any realm of darkness. But the thing is, the quantity of heaven's armies is just a representation of his magnitude. And in the same way it talks about angels, it talks about stars in the heavens. No creature, neither the highest nor the least, nor even the greatest multitude can add anything to him. And we're going to see how this applies in a moment. But I also wanted to reference, it's important to note that he says, the God of Jacob is our refuge. The God of Jacob is our refuge. See, this talks about the covenant that the Lord has with the people of Jacob, right? But Jacob himself was not an upstanding character. He was not a, a righteous man. <laughs> the Lord used him. The Lord spoke with him. But this is not someone that you, you really want to be. He was kind of a scoundrel. He was a grabber of a heel. That's what his name means. But God still chose to endeavor with Jacob and use Jacob. You, you understand, in the, in the midst of everything going on, in the midst of the craziness of the turmoil of the world, we come to God in our wickedness. And he takes us into his bosom. And he provides us refuge. Because he is faithful. He is faithful. The search section of this psalm is a celebration of God as our defense. When the Lord brings his judgment. Verse 8 through 11, there's a shift here now to behold the glory and the power of the Lord after the battle has already been won. Verse 8, come behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in fire. In the fire. Nations rage against his people. This just doesn't pertain to Israel, his chosen people anymore. It it applies to all of us now. Nations rage against us. Enemies of darkness rage against us. And he laughs. And And he breaks and he throws down and he burns their instruments of war like it's nothing. He doesn't need an army. He doesn't need us. He does it all on his own because he is a good God and he is all powerful. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Heard that a few times, huh? I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This isn't a call to a quiet, contemplative life. You have to understand the order of this verse or these verses is after the Lord has destroyed our enemy 
And he said, be still. I don't care what you're saying. Be still and know that I am God. Shut up. I've taken care of it. Be still. There's a sovereignty. It's, it's a call. It's, it's a call to lay down your arms. It's a call to surrender. Lord's not actually telling us to shut up. I get that. Okay. But, but literally, it's, it's calling us to fall on our knees, put down our weapons, lay our hands at our feet, and surrender. Because there is nothing that we can do to make an impact on the war that is going on outside those walls. That is the Lord's war. And he has already won. Be still and await his judgment. For he's coming back. This is where Jesus plays. This is where Jesus comes in. He's coming back. For God, we rejoice that he saves us from God's judgment. Verse 11 reiterates, again, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Say law. It wants you to rest on that. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Again, reflecting after the battle is won, the Lord, if great magnitude and victory is with us, he is our refuge. He is our refuge. Now, now uh, this is, that's the end of the psalm. Right? So this is, this is the night before, theoretically. We don't know it's before or after again, but this is the night before, written in the perspective of the night before, of 185,000 Assyrian soldiers outside their walls waiting to destroy them. Okay? Waiting to destroy them. Second Kings 19.35-37, through 37, And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out. An angel of the Lord, that, that's a host, right? That, that's one host. He is the commander of all hosts, right? Of all the heavenly hosts. One host. And killed the camp of the Assyrians, 185,000. Killed them all. That's one angel of God. It's not that God couldn't do it. But there's a note to be made that the Lord of hosts is our God. And one host killed 185,000 men that were set to destroy his people. And when the people arose early in the morning, there were corpses, all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained in Nineveh. Now it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the temple of Nisroch, his god, that his sons, Adremelech and Shabrazer, I think, struck him down at with a sword, and they escaped into the land. Arbatot. A rabbit. Whatever. I can't pronounce it. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> and this goes in line of what it said in Second Kings 19, that the Lord said, by the way that he came, in verse 33, 1933, by the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and he shall not come into this city, says the Lord. By the way in which he came, he shall return. It goes on to say that he will be struck down by the sword. And even more so, even more 
hurtful and dishonoring is that his sons do it. There is no hope for the people that go against the people of the Lord. The reality, to put it back in today's terms, is that Christians are going to face tribulation. They're going to face persecution. They're going to face suffering. As I said before, it's just the reality of the world that we live in. It's a call. But the thing is, the call is to suffer for his sake. See, suffering as Christians brings about, and this is only one of the dynamics of suffering that we have to look at as Christians, and that's what I'm going to focus on tonight, is the intimacy that it brings about in suffering for the Lord. When we choose to go to Christ in the midst of our suffering, our relationship with God might become less formal, less artificial, and less distant. And become more personal, more real, and more intimate, and close and deep. God wants a real relationship with you. He doesn't want a Sunday night Christian coming once a week. He wants day in, day out. I'm going to be there with you, kind of Christian. I'm going to lay it all at your feet. Day in and day out. I'm going to give everything to you and walk with you, kind of Christian. This is important. Because suffering brings about this relationship. We all go through suffering, and to be honest, I don't know how you go through the garbage that happens to us in this world without Christ. I've, I've been there. I've done it. I've tried to get through turmoil without Christ, turn to drinking and relationships. It's hollow. It's void of purpose. No substance. I always come back to the Lord because he's my home. That's the only place I find peace. See, the Lord gives us a peace that goes beyond understanding. That means as humans, we are literally unable to understand the peace that he gives us in the midst of these kind of things. See, see when our hearts break, Jesus' hearts break. Jesus' hearts break. Heart breaks. Sorry. He gets it. That's the whole reason he came. It's the whole reason he came down to the earth. To live as a man. To suffer as we suffer. To endure what we endure. You say, nah, nah. Jesus didn't go through what I went through. Jesus didn't have the temptation that I went through. He was God. He was 100% God and 100% man. I can't explain that to you. That's just what I believe. And that's what the Bible preaches. That's what the Bible says. He understands. He's the creator. He knows the ins and out of you. Like I said before, and the word says before, he knitted you together in the womb. He knows your falls. He knows your tendencies. He knows your stumbling blocks. He says, I'm right there with you. And when we fail, his heart breaks. But he remains faithful. He remains faithful. I, I, I don't want to jump too quickly into the New Testament. Just I want to give you a clear picture of another person in the, in the Old Testament. That's Job. Job 42.5. Just, just real quick. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see thee. 
What does that mean? I'm not going to go through the context, but you know Job suffered a lot. Lost his family, lost his possessions, covered in boils, stricken down. He suffered a lot. He was a good man, all things considered. He was a righteous man, all things considered. But this happened to him. The difference between what he knew of God in prosperity and what he knew of him in adversity was the difference between hearing about and seeing him. The difference between hearing about and seeing him. That's, that's a pretty staunch difference. <laughs> we can hear about the Lord, but until we actually experience the love of Jesus Christ, nothing compares to that. Nothing compares to that. It says all over the New Testament when it talks about suffering, it says in James 1, 2, consider it all joy when you fall into various trials. It bring about patience. Patience were perfected to a perfect faith. You know, the, you know the scripture, but consider it all joy when all hell breaks loose, when our world falls apart. Why would I do that? I want to grit my teeth. I want to yell, scream, cuss, kick. God says for us to rejoice in everything that he gives and everything that he takes away. Know that he is faithful. Philippians 1.29, for, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Suffer for his sake. Why do we need to suffer? Well, the world that we live in has fallen. We're sinners. That's why. That's the reality of the world in which we live in. I'm not going to say invest here and you'll be given twice fold. There's no prosperity gospel here. There's real gospel here. There's real gospel here. The Lord wants to bless you. Don't get me wrong. But the reality of the world that we live in is that we're going to go through suffering and the Lord gives us hope. That's my point. The Lord provides hope in the midst of our despair. See, in John fifteen twenty, Jesus says, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute, also persecute you. Persecution, suffering. It's going to hurt to have faith. I don't mean to scare you. It's just the reality of the world that we live in. It's, it's hard to come back here. I tell you what, I, two weeks ago, I was in Uganda. I was in Africa. I don't want to say that it's easy to be a Christian there. But there's less distraction. Yeah, there's money, there's politics, there's, there's drinking, there's sex, there's prostitution. But good and evil is in your face. It's, it's, it's almost black and white. Here, it's, it's hard to come back here. Even California, I lived in Idaho, Montana, North Dakota, Tennessee. In the last seven years, this is the one place I didn't want to come back to. And of course, that's where God called me to be. (laughs) I found that in other places that it was easier to find genuine people. And obviously, I'm stereotyping very largely. But here in California, there is great affluence and there is great despair. But there are so many distractions here 
that make it almost feasible to not need a God. I mean, at least that's the way that media portrays it, right? That we're bombarded with. We can have sex, drugs, and rock and roll. (laughs) I get it. It's attractive. I don't need God. I can fill my heart with other things. But remember this, as Paul says in Acts 14.22, though many tribulations we must, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a process. I was called back here to sift through the ingenuineness. And the Lord's working on me and striking down my pride, thinking that I'm better than y'all. Because <laughs> I, I, I did some hard labor. Got myself some cowboy boots. Learned how to work for myself and Meet some genuine people. Genuine people are here. The Lord is working here. The Lord has called you here. This environment, this city, this school, there's a reason that you're here. You can deny it all you want. There's a plan. There's a will. You can either fall in line or not. It's up to you. But I can promise you this, the Lord is faithful. The Lord is good. The Lord is just. The Lord has already won. In the midst of turmoil, in the midst of suffering, know that the Lord says we are more than conquerors. Pastor Rob likes to say, I read the end of the book. I know what's going to happen. Lord wins. We all get to go home. I said, heck yeah, we do. <laughs> heck yeah, we do. But I also want you to understand something important. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. We should live together with him. God did not appoint us to wrath. He did not appoint us to suffering. But the reality of the world is that we're going to endure it. But if we live with him, we are saved through Christ. Christ is the living water. He is is our nourishment that flows within us when the world is bombarding us with attacks. God's walls stand firm. God's fortress stands firm as an impenetrable defense. He is our fortress. Jesus is our supply. I'm going to keep it short tonight. My first sermon in a while. I want you to understand that Jesus suffered. He suffered for you. He suffered for me. You've heard it before. You've heard it so many times that it's almost cliche. That it almost falls off your ears. I hate that. I hate that. It's not Christianese. Those are just words that we say, right? The Lord suffered for all of us. And I want you to understand something. The suffering of Jesus Christ did not only pertain to the cross. The suffering of Jesus Christ did not only pertain to the cross. But the life he lived up to the cross. The cross is a representation of his death. 
an ultimate suffering, a physical suffering, but you got to understand Jesus suffered physically, mentally, and spiritually, just as we do. He was human. So I want to leave you with this one thought of Christ's suffering and how he still asked us to take refuge in him. Um, Some of you, you weren't here over the summer, but Chris... Uh, Chris Begg talked over the summer and he gave this illustration. Not illustration, but actually historical um, picture of communion. And and kind of as we go into communion, uh, I want to leave you with a couple of things. So, so in Jewish culture, the passing of the cup, so you think of Jesus before the night he died, they were sitting at the Last Supper and he passed the cup. He said, take of this cup. In Jewish culture, this passing of the cup was a representation, a symbol of will you marry me? Christ asking the church, will you marry me? Take of this cup, go into covenant with me, my bride, my love. I want you to understand something. Jesus was fully God and fully man. Because he was fully God, Not only did he see the sin of each and every one of the disciples that were there, but each and every one of you. And what you have to understand in terms, that sin is picking anything over Christ. It's infidelity. It's infidelity. Sin is cheating on God. Yet he looks into your eyes and says, I love you anyways. I know what you are going to do to me, but I love you and I choose you anyways. This hits home for me in two regards. My family was ripped apart from infidelity. I promised I would never do that. I hate it. And two is that in the last month I got engaged. I I proposed. I got down on a knee, presented a ring, presented a cup, right? Metaphorically presented a cup. And I asked, will you marry me? But in the moment of that proposal, if I saw a moment, this is never going to happen, but I saw a moment in a picture of infidelity that she was going to, to do one day, I'll tell you right now, I would not have the courage to go through with it. I would be angry. I would be disgusted. I would chuck that ring as far as I could. And that's my weakness. Jesus says no. He is relentless in his pursuit of you. He knows you from top to bottom. Every experience that you have ever had, Jesus knows. And he says, I love you and I call you my own and I want you to come eat at my table. I want you to be glorified in my name. So as we take of the cup, we receive his offered proposal. Understand this, when you come to the table and you receive this offering, 
this proposal. Know that God sees you from top to bottom and still presents it to you anyways because he loves you. He is our refuge. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me. But Jesus is still here. And he's not going anywhere. Bottom line. Thank you for the opportunity. Let me speak to you guys tonight. I love you. I hope that the Lord spoke through me tonight. I'm going to lift this up in prayer. Father, I, I, I personally come before you humble, knowing the depth of my sin, knowing the depth of my transgressions. And you asked me to accept your proposal anyways. I, I don't get it, but I love you regardless. I'm humbled by the opportunity to speak tonight, humbled by the opportunity to be with and among these people. Ultimately, this pulpit, Father, this stage is yours. You are the head of this church. Father, break our hearts for what breaks yours, as as cheesy as that sounds. Make us understand the depth of your despair, the depth of your suffering, so that we may grow in our relationship, in the depth of our relationship with you. It is so important to get through the fog and the mundane We don't want to scratch the surface, Lord. We want to dive in. This is critical. We love you, Father, and we want to know. We want to know you more. Be our refuge, be our strength, not only in times of trouble, but at all times. Thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the gift of fellowship. Thank you for the gift of a place to meet, a house to meet, Father. This is not normal. Let us, take, let us not take that for granted. Help us to be in your midst, to meditate on you, Father. Open our hearts and open our minds. We love you. We thank you. All these things we pray. Amen.